welcome. You are listening to the Uncut Gems podcast, a very special episode of our 2023 year-long ongoing John Cassavetes marathon. And my name is Jakob. And my name's Randy. And today we're continuing our journey through the cinema of the maverick, the cinematic outlaw, John Cassavetes himself. And we're talking about faces. But before we start, traditional, as, as Randy, you say, you, you now say, break out your bulletin boards. We're gonna <laughs> get, just, we have to get through announcements. So, first of all, thank you so much for uh, supporting us with your hard earned cash by joining our Patreon. If you're listening to the uh, full version of this show on our Patreon, then a thank you is in order. Thank you very much for, um, for chipping in. Uh, and if you're not, if you're uh, if you're listening to this or the free teaser on our wherever it is you're listening to, then you know if you head head over to Patreon.com/slash/UncutGemsPod for just about three bucks a month, American, four fifty Canadian. I'm not sure it's, if it's three pounds in the UK. I think so. Not much. I think is what I'm trying to say. Not much. <laughs> Uh, you're going to get access to quite a lot of podcasts and then the full version of this show and then everything that came before it. And now it's just about 50 podcasts or so, which includes like a full-on filmography of David Lynch that we discussed last year and then um, our our, um, shallow cut uh, episodes to the Soderbergh Odyssey and then our sort of monthly tie-ins. So quite a lot of movies that are just a little bit more talked about than the stuff that we do on on the main show. So do that and then your help will be appreciated and thanked for. So, and actually on that note, might as well mention that in the month of April, that's just about coming to a close as we're putting this episode together. Also on our Patreon, we will will be able to listen to our monthly tie-in to our 90s superhero series that's just about to conclude on our main show, uh, which was the 1989 Tim Burton's Batman, and also on our Soderbergh sort of journey through uh, his <clears throat> through Steven Soderbergh's movies, we talked about traffic mm-hmm. on our Patreon. So go and listen to that if you haven't already. So, without further ado, I suppose let's just jump into uh, gender, ju- you know, jump into some John Cassavetes, baby. Let's talk about faces. No place like home. What? I said, have you ever been to Rome? I love you. But you always love me when I bring food. Well, that's because I'm a glutton. Were you with Fred tonight? Yeah. I think he's a terrible father. He never talks to the kids or plays with them. The kids are grown up. Well, I'm 19 and grown. I don't like Fred anymore. Well, why don't you like Fred anymore? Because he cheats on his wife. Now, who told you that? Louis. Oh, Louis. Faces was uh, released in 1968, directed by John Cassavetes, written by him as well, and stars John Marley, Dina Rollins, Lynn Carlin, Fred Draper, Seymour Cassell, Val Avery, and a few other people as well. Uh, and it's a story about, uh, how do I call it politely? A disintegrating marriage. Uh, about a couple 
Um, so that's um, John Marley and Gina Rowan. So that's Richard and uh, no, sorry, that's John Marley and Lynn Carlin. Sorry, so Richard and Maria. Uh, um, I, I want to say a middle class American couple who um, um, on on one evening uh, Richard decides that he wants to get a divorce, so he leaves the house and he and he spends the night to, uh, accompanied by a, call it an escort, but I think the word would be a sex worker these days, uh, having a party at, at her house while Maria goes out to a go-go club and picks up a, with a bunch of friends and picks up a guy. And then the movie is basically an account of what happens on that night, um, both to Richard and to Maria and to the sort of repercussions of, of, of these actions. And that's about kind of it. This is the movie. Like this is, uh, you can't get any simpler than that. So in the interest of um, sort of just following on our sort of journey through what's, hap- what's, what's happening to Cassavetti. So I think in just, just a gentle reminder, I think in 1963, um, yeah, 1963, this was A Child is Waiting was released. So that's the movie we talked about last month. So we did touch on this, that, you know, like this movie came out um, in an atmosphere of almost, I don't want to say a scandal, but a, at least on a personal level, this was a very tumultuous time for John Cassavetes because he essentially burnt his bridges in Hollywood. He fell out with uh, Stanley Kramer. He fell out with everybody who was on, involved in the production. Nobody really wanted to um, to deal with him. So he actually, as a result of um, being extremely difficult to collaborate with on, a, on what essentially ended up being his only bona fide studio picture uh, to date. Um, uh, so he, he essentially rendered himself unemployable. So that's kind of how he ended up uh, just, just staying at home. And meanwhile, Gina Rowland was, um, oh, she just did Lonely Are the Brave. She just did a few other films. So he essentially just stayed at home for a year doing Jack, right? I mean, spending time with his with his son, just you know, just doing whatever. I think he did write some scripts. He, I don't know, pontificated over his mistakes as a as a as a filmmaker. Did I don't? I think he did some thinking. I think that's what that's what he would also probably like to be. Uh, and just just to you know, drive home that he was, he did some thinking and some reflection, but he couldn't really stay. Um, um, listless for too for too long because you know Cassavetes being himself this hot blooded sort of maverick just decided okay I need to start making movies again and so so in order to start to start doing this he also I think to, took a few jobs I think on on some TV pilots I think he did um, a, a few episodes of some television here and there just so that so that he would actually work and bring in some money because yeah he, mm-hmm. he was essentially. The, the the Cassavetti's household was essentially being supported by Gina Rowland's acting career, and she was actually flourishing. She was she was doing extremely well. So as he was kind of just, I don't know, reading from his from from his disastrous sort of adventure in Hollywood, he decided, okay, I need to do movie my way again, uh, and to reconnect with what I used to do, which would be some. Like, so he did with the shadows in the in the late fifties. So he started writing this movie, uh, which ended up. I mean, he started writing a bunch of films. He wrote, wrote like I want to say apparently fifty half finished scripts, and then he kind of just got convinced to uh, to put one 
into into practice and i think there is some some legends around this i suppose because he would tell you one thing and other people would tell you another that he had this sort of half finished script as in a scene which ends up in faces um that he then developed into into something else but i think his uh collaborate i think it may have been seymour cassell who 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 potentially said that you know he had this sort of question that he asked uh, asked him at a, uh, uh, on the plane that they just talk, talked about this like what would you say to, or to a uh, to a hooker that you wake up next to in the morning right um and then just kind of developed it from there uh, so they they got a bunch of so <laughs> they, they they got a bunch of people together and they decided to make a movie um without any expectations to make money so essentially just coming back to the roots of what how Casavetti started which was let's just make a movie to express something to just make make this an artistic experience because if there's one thing that uh, that Casavetti's hated was the sort of Hollywood idea of building a product and trying to market it and trying to sell it to someone because he didn't really like the idea of making people love something because it's a product or it's 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 something that you know um it's supposed to accomplish a job like for for him films weren't supposed to do things they were supposed to be things um so that they kind of just embarked on this journey that they didn't quite know how long it would take i think they i mean they 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 initially planned that they they wanted to shoot this movie in three weeks they ended up i think doing it over a a bunch of months because they did it essentially just in as slow a pace as needed because nobody nobody ever got paid for it so all the cast members crew members and all that nobody got paid a dime they were all promised some kind of a like if the movie ever made some money they would get a, they would get a cut of this right and then they didn't have any money i think he's just he um spent some of some of his own time to buy a 16 millimeter camera he bought a sinclair for this and then um his uh, cinematographer brought another one uh, so he had two cinematographers on this um al, al Rubin. that's and there was also one guy called Mac, uh McKendry, who also I think did some editing on this, because like Morris McKendry and Al Rubin were basically just sort of the two persistent crew members who, who did a lot of stuff for him. Um, so they essentially ended up having two cameras and some lighting that they mysteriously that mysteriously disappeared from some kind of a studio. I think it may have been Universal because they all kind of just had this because it's it's all happening in LA and they shot it in John Cassavetti's house. I mean, parts of it was shot, shot in his house. Parts of it was shot uh, were shot in um, Gina Rowland's mom's house, and and a few other parts in someone else's house. And they were shooting it in a very so slow fashion because they they committed to the idea of rehearsing and writing and rewriting so that um, the story would kind of just uh, when they started just shooting it, you know, Casavetes didn't have a didn't have an ending for it, so they were just. They were trying to see how the car- how the actors would understand the characters and when they where they would take them and and he would be rewriting as they went along. So the improvisation was in the sort of the character work, but every line that they were speaking on uh, was scripted. So they would they would they would be re- resizing written lines, but they would be honed and rehoned over periods of um, you know just rehearsing and 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 just trying things out. 
and that that was happening almost essentially over like, during nights. So these because people would have jobs to go to, they had other sort of gigs they had to you know like, do because you, know, you have to pay the bills somehow. So they were just after whatever they did, whatever after fin- finishing whatever they were they were doing, they would show up at Casaveri's house. Gina Rowlands would serve spaghetti or whatever because. Uh, it was it was cheap food to uh, to serve, and they would start rehearsing, and they would start shooting, and they would shoot until midnight or one o'clock until older actors would be like, well, "I'm done here," and then all the younger ones would then start doing like editing dailies together or whatever. So they were just working sort of in a nocturnal sort of fashion, and they would take days off, they would take weeks off because someone would do a shoot, and then in the meantime, as this because that's happening in 1964. Um, in the meantime, you know, John Cassavetes would go and shoot a film here and there. They'll come back and then just re- redo certain things. So it took multiple months of shooting. They have, uh, long story short, I think they shot nearly, what, 250 hours of footage. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot. And then, you know, and then just, well, and, and then they spent, I want to say, three years editing it. Uh, and then as the as the sort of story went along, as they were just editing and just making these compromises, oh, which, which scenes do we want? Which scenes do, do we don't want? And, and they had these sort of technical issues because as they were shooting, like, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't really have a technical term for it, but they discovered, and it, uh, you can actually see it in the film some, uh, in some scenes, that the sound comes out of sync because the soundtrack would lose some power. So it would come out of sync. So they would have to manually just remove certain frames to kind of just bring it to speed because yeah. the other solution would be throw out the footage and shoot it again. And they were like, we don't have money for this because yeah. as they were as they were editing as well, Casavetes would have to go and take acting jobs to actually pay for the editing because it just yeah. costs. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll jump in. I was watching an interview with Al uh, Rubin. Is that our cinematographer? Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, he was saying that one of the things that you typically do is at the end of the day, you uh, transfer your negative and you transfer your sound. And I don't understand the processes, um, but that's something that they never did <laughs> because yeah. we'll just do it later. We'll just do it later. We need some money for that. We'll do it later when we have some money. So then uh, they did it way later and they had some uh, General and said 200,000 feet of film. So like, yes. Well, hmm, how much is that? So I went to uh, scenesavers.com. If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety, head over to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash uncutgemspod where for three bucks a month you'll be able to hear many other bonus recordings of ours such as tie-ins to our main show, mini retrospectives and comprehensive director marathons. Patreon.com slash uncutgemspod is the place so head over there and subscribe. Yeah.